from WJFF Radio Catskill, this is Close to Home, the podcast that explores the people, issues, and institutions in the Catskill Mountains, the heart of small-town America. I'm your host, Leif Johansson. Thanks for tuning in. As we continue our series on transportation infrastructure, there has been a major aspect of the national transportation sector making headlines across the country lately. For months now, the cost of a gallon of gas has been steadily rising. And while we can all agree that we're not happy about it, there has been intense disagreement about why the prices are surging and who's to blame for it. And it got me thinking, How does the market for gasoline work, and what are the factors that cause gas prices to fluctuate so dramatically? Why did prices drop so low during the pandemic, and why are they so much higher now than they were before the pandemic hit? Even though I buy gas all the time, I realized that I had no clue what the answers to these questions actually are. So the other day, I called up an expert. My name is Bill Saxonis, and I'm an adjunct professor at the Rockefeller College uh, for Public Policy and Affairs, which is part of SUNY Albany, located in Albany, New York. And I've been um, teaching there for the past few years. I teach a course in energy policy and climate change. Uh, Prior to that, I spent close to 40 years working for the state in dealing with energy policy, first for the New York State Energy Office, and then for the New York State Public Service Commission. And the New York State Public Service Commission uh, is the agency that regulates uh, the electric, gas, uh, water, uh, and to some extent, cable utilities in in the state. So in my teaching, I kind of combine my practical experience uh, with the fact that I do have an advanced degree in, in political science and have written a number of articles that are published uh, in various, various sources. So that's a little bit about me. And uh, I think you asked me here to, to talk to talk energy today. Yeah, absolutely. You know, obviously, I think the impetus for this conversation today is that gas prices have gone up a lot from where they were just a year ago. And obviously, a year ago, we were in a pretty unusual situation on a, on a national level. So to get into it, what are the biggest factors that are influencing gas prices? And does that change from state to state or from place to place? Well, that's a good question. And I think a lot of people don't understand what goes into gas pricing. They just know that the prices seem to go up and down. And when they go up, they seem to stay up for a long time. And when they come down, it's always very, very slowly. But there are a number of factors that go into your gas uh, pricing. The most important is crude oil. Uh, when you look at the statistics from 2011 to 2020, nearly 60% was related to the crude oil, uh, the actual price of crude oil. And this is what you hear in the financial news reports. They'll say Brent oil you know, was up today or down today, the basic world price of crude oil. 
has been historically around 50, 60% uh, of the total influencers on the price of gasoline. Uh, another factor is distribution and marketing. Uh, ultimately, the gas has to get from the refinery to your local gas station. And it also has to be marketed. You know, you hear the ads on TV about different gas. One gas is better than the other and that sort of thing. There's also refining uh, costs and, and profits. And that's basically about the same as distribution and marketing. Historically, again, over the past roughly 10 years, it's been about 14%. And that basically is what it says. It's the refinery. Uh, you know, the, you get the raw crude oil, but it needs to be refined. And ultimately, it goes to a refinery, and then it winds up usually in a pipeline, and then it gets to a distribution terminal. And oftentimes, what happens is that all of the, the crude oil that comes into the refinery to be refined gets all mixed up together. So you could be buying mobile gas or uh, Shell or whatever the, whatever the brand is, and the core gas may be come in the same pipeline, the same source, and may be absolutely identical. Where there is a difference is in the additive package. The companies do add additives, and there's something called top-tier gas, uh, which my car manufacturer in their owner's manual recommends that one use, and it has a supposedly a better additive package that keeps your motor running cleaner. And top-tier comes in all grades. It's not, don't be confused between premium gas and regular gas. It's the additive package for all categories. So that becomes part of the cost. Um, slightly more at about 16% is federal and state taxes. And there, the taxes can make a big difference. Um, federal taxes have been the same for a long time. They're, they're a little over 18 cents, but it's the, it's the state taxes that vary. And I happen to have here in front of me from our friends at the American Petroleum Institute a listing of what the taxes are in the 50 states. And just to give you some example, if you go by region, the Northeast, uh, the, the total state and federal taxes are, are 47.88. That's 47.88 cents per gallon. Now, uh, the West, which would be California and some of the Rocky Mountain states, it goes up to 71.71. The South, which includes a lot of areas where the refineries are located, like Texas and Louisiana and such, uh, it's 39.62, where in the West, it's about 72 cents. And if you look at individual states, uh, California is at 81.45 cents, so roughly 80, 82 cents. Our friends over in Pennsylvania are paying um, a little over 77 cents. Uh, New York is at 61 cents, which is a little bit above the national average, which is uh, 55 cents. And for those that complain about New York state taxes is probably a legitimate complaint. And they say, we got to move to Florida for lower taxes, at least for the, for the gas tax, Florida and New York state have almost identical gas tax taxes. Florida is at 60.86 cents 
and New York is at 61.10 cents. So they're, they're almost mm -hmm. identical. Uh, the lowest is Alaska at 32.19 uh, cents. So everything held equal if you compare California, which is about 82 cents, versus Alaska, which is a hair over 32 cents. You're, you're talking about, uh, about a 50 cent difference just because of the taxes and not including all these other factors that we discuss, like distributing and marketing and whatever. And the closer you are to refineries makes a difference too, which is one mm -hmm. of the reasons that gas tends to be cheaper in the southern region of the country because the gas product doesn't have to travel as far. Uh, there can also be differences. I know here in Albany, I live not too far from Route 20, which is a major highway. You can take it from the Boston area all the way to Oregon. I've never done that, but you could do it. <laughs> uh, and for example, sometimes uh, I'll see big differences even among the three Sunoco stations that are within about a five-mile radius of, mm. of my house. And that can do deal with uh, local factors. Um, for example, if, you, if we decided to, to build a gas station in Midtown Manhattan, our costs are going to be dramatically higher than if we built a gas station here in Albany, New York, because the, uh, the cost of land is more expensive, the cost of labor to run the gas station is more expensive, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that would be you know, a, a pretty good difference um, simply because of the location of the gas station. And sometimes if there's a whole bunch of gas stations bunched together, you can sometimes get a gas war because they want to be competitive. Um, I'll lower my gas prices by two cents so everyone comes to my station as opposed to your station. Mm -hmm. And then you say, well, wait a minute, I'll lower my gas by three cents a gallon and I'll take Bill's customers away from it. So there's a lot of factors uh, that go into the pricing of a gallon of gasoline. So I think that this really effectively explains why gas prices dropped so low during the pandemic and how gas prices generally, you know, fluctuate from state to state and whatnot based on taxes. So I, I think just to recap here, I, I think the major ones that you said were price of crude oil, taxes, refining, distribution, marketing are the major uh, factors that are going to determine what our price of gas is. Yes. But I think it still leaves the question of why is gas so much higher nationally now um, than it was even before the pandemic? Because obviously we're getting out of the pandemic now and people are starting to travel more at normal levels. But I imagine that people aren't traveling way more than they were pre-pandemic, causing prices to skyrocket or something. So what's the mechanism in there that's now causing the gas stations down the street to go up to well over $3 instead? Well, I'm glad you asked that question because I have some interesting research that tends to contradict your basic theory. Hmm. Um, for example, I was looking at prices of gas on the 4th of July over a number of years. And in 2008, this is a nationwide average. Uh, it was over $4. It was $4.09. It did drop in 2009 to 261 and 2010 was 271 But in 2011, it was $3.56. 2012 was $3.34. 2013 
2013, it was $3.48. And in 2014, again, on 4th of July, it was $3.66. Wow. Now, it did drop in 2015 to $2.77. And it was in the the low $2 area uh, in 2016, 2017. 2018, it was $2.92. So it was in the ballpark of what it is today. So, you know, the, the price of gas has fluctuated a lot. And it's also interesting to look at the historic prices of gas. For example, in 1949, even I wasn't born in 1949. Do um, you want to make a guess as to what a, a gallon of gas cost in 1949? I assume we're not controlling for inflation. Yes, this would be the the raw actual cost. What someone paid, someone pulled up to the local gas station in 1949. What did they pay for gas? Okay, I'm going to say 45 cents a gallon. Uh, close, but not that close. Uh, 27 cents. Holy cow! But here's wow. but but here's the here's the kicker. Adjusted for inflation, because I did an inflation adjustment based on the CPI index. It, it, it's the equivalent of $3.05, roughly where it is today. So, I mean, a lot of people say, oh, I remember when I used to pay, you know, 20 cents for gas. <laughs> uh, for a long period of time, gas was, you know, 20-something, 30-something cents. And when we had the energy crisis, actually, there were two energy, two energy crises in the, in the 70s. And that really started the drive for higher energy prices. But... What we're paying now, at least in more recent history, is not all that extravagant. Uh, where it goes from here, of course, is, is another question. Right. Uh, the domestic producers, uh, now we get about 65% of domestic production from shale. They are not jumping back in and opening up wells and whatever. And OPEC and their, their buddies like Russia or whatever are being um, pretty conservative in terms of upping the output. Uh, and there's always a delicate balance for these producers, um, whether they're nations or individual companies dealing with oil development here in this country. Where if, they, if something like OPEC ups the output too much, then they're basically losing out on potential profit? Is that... Yeah, I mean it's not only profit, but I mean a lot of a lot of the countries are heavily dependent on oil revenue. Mm. So if they push the price up too much, then they're not getting enough revenue. Um, if they lower the price too much, uh, you know, then they're not making the profits that they're used to. So this, you know, it, it's not always uh, you know simple. I mean, they could like some of the nations, the OPEC nations, did during the energy crisis. To say let's really cut back on our uh, sales to the U.S. and Europe and whatever, and it did increase the price of oil, but they were selling a lot less oil. And again, you have an economy that's dependent on oil, and the producers also face an interesting issue. They want to have revenues coming in to please their shareholders and investors. But on the other hand, if the price of oil is really low, is that a wise investment decision? You know, should they back off and hold off on selling that that product until the prices are higher? 
So, you know, there, there's always that kind of situation between the now and the, and the future. You know, another thing that also happens is that when energy prices are low, then there is less drilling and development because people say, I'm not going to open up a new well and whatever. If I'm only going to get, you know, $15 a barrel for my product, I'm going to leave it, leave it in the ground. And that tends to create shortages. People still need the gas, but now there's less available because the the oil company doesn't want to drill because the price of oil is so low. So now that supply demand kicks in mm. and you know, the, the price, the prices go up, you know, for, for your, for your gas. And uh, then, then the, the developers say, Oh good. Now I can get, you know, $70 a, a barrel. So I'm not going to open up all my wells that I, that I had closed. And now you tend to get a flood of of oil and petroleum products, which, which tends to lower the prices. Right. So if OPEC coming out of COVID, if OPEC is still hesitant to raise production levels too much, um, obviously not all of our oil that we're converting into gasoline and other types of fuel is coming from OPEC countries. It's also domestic oil as well. Is the same thing happening right now domestically, do you know, where U.S. producers are also kind of holding off on jacking up production to levels that it was at, you know, say two years ago or a year and a half ago. Yes. Yeah. The uh, domestic production, whether it's shale or, or whatever, is down from where it was pre, pre-COVID. And they're slow to bring on the the new uh, new inventory and new drilling and whatever. Now, that may that may change. As the price of oil keeps going up, then it becomes more lucrative, more profitable to do to do the uh, drilling and exploration. So, do you think that producers, whether it's OPEC or domestic producers, are worried that there might be another COVID spike or something, and and demand might drop again? Do you understand a, a clear reason as to why they're not already increasing, or are they just waiting for that kind of optimal price where they get a really great price for more oil production? I think they're they're just trying to make prudent business decisions. Hmm. There are so many variables, as we discussed, uh, that it becomes very, very difficult to to know where things are going. I mean, I think the consensus is that energy prices are going to continue to rise and that if you're planning a trip for next month or the month after, you're probably going to be paying a few pennies more at, at the gas pump. Um, but that could be proven totally wrong. And I'll ask you to destroy the tape where I, where I said that. <laughs> but the consensus is whether you're looking at AAA or you're looking at Goldman Sachs and their you know, uh, energy analysts, I mean, just about everyone is saying that energy prices will increase, at least over the short term. Uh, you know, I imagine that when these companies and nations are making decisions that COVID has to figure into it, 
I mean, we've had a lot of great news about the vaccines, but uh, as you know, there are many states that the vaccine uh, uh, rate is very, very low. And I think there's concern about um, the variants and what impact they'll have. So I, I'm sure that factors into their, their decisions, but it's so hard, it's so hard to predict. Um, but we do know that at least right at the moment, uh, energy consumption is pretty much back to uh, pre-pandemic levels. Are, are, you know, if it's not there, it's pretty close to it in terms of people flying, in terms of people on the road. In fact, uh, some reports that I, I've heard that there's actually more automobile travel because people are a little bit reluctant to fly or even though the planes are close to filled these days, uh, that some people are reluctant to fly or take a train or whatever. They'd rather take their personal, personal automobile. So at the end of the day, we have the ebb and flow of the petroleum market to thank for gas prices, along with a long-standing 18 cent per gallon federal tax and a 61 cent per gallon New York state tax, and a few other smaller factors like marketing and distribution costs. And I think it's interesting that there is a pricing sweet spot for oil companies here. Too low, and there's little incentive to drill expensive wells too high, and people start to buy less gas. But at the same time, economic studies have shown over the years that as gas prices rise, our consumption patterns don't actually change that much, which means that oil companies can still probably hold off for a while longer on increasing production before we actually start to travel less. And how does oil scarcity factor into all of this? After all, it is a non-renewable resource. Well, probably not that much. Between improvements in drilling technology over the years and the fact that there is truly a mind-boggling amount of oil in the earth, it's probably going to be a while until we see fuel prices rising dramatically as a result of a serious lack of oil left in the planet. But of course, none of that factors in climate change and the pressure that's putting on oil companies to invest in renewable energy sources, and the pressure on vehicle manufacturers to invest in electric cars. Finally, I think it's worth highlighting again that even though gas prices do seem particularly high right now, they're not really an anomaly. According to the US Energy Information Administration, in 12 of the last 16 Julys, national gas prices averaged higher than $2.75 a gallon. And in eight of the last 16 Julys, they averaged over $3. The days of $1.60 gas may be gone, at least until the next global catastrophe that hopefully never comes. But these higher prices are also a reflection that life is starting to get back to normal and we're able to safely leave our homes and take trips or go out on the town together. And that's pretty sweet. So enjoy this summer in our beautiful Catskills home, and if you're looking for some non-motorized transit opportunities, check out some rail trails, which you can learn about in our episode about them from a few weeks ago. 
Thank you to Professor Bill Saxonis for taking the time to chat this week, and if you enjoyed hearing from him, you're in luck because we'll be playing the second half of my conversation with him in an upcoming episode about how our electrical grid works and where that energy comes from. So stay tuned for that, but in the meantime, I'm Leif Johansson, and this is Close to Home, a production of WJFF Radio Catskill. Have a great week. Mm -hmm.